Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, you name it, plus a couple of less productive approaches. After two decades of coming up short, I realized I was focused on the wrong thing. Instead of trying to fill fill those empty holes, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy goal. A major, major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like, instead of keeping it to myself. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today I'm chatting about our Grief Public Series announcement series, and I've added uh, number eight, which is, there is no path to healing, but the one that we pave for ourselves. Looking at the next grief myth in our PSA series, this is one that actually deceives both the person grieving and those supporting that person. One of the challenges of profound grief is that there is a sneaking suspicion on everyone's part that there is a way to quote unquote do this. That if we just launched into one of the many sets of actions that leads to peace, acceptance, and renewed joy, we would be moving forward and getting on with life. This idea is incredibly misleading. For one thing, grief is a unique journey, and if we've lost someone, the circumstances around that death are idiosyncratic to the person and the situation. These losses are often more complicated than they seem. During our efforts to recover, we may look around to see proof that it's actually possible to lose a child or a loved one and still lead a vibrant, fulfilling life. But despite evidence we collect to remind ourselves that this is quote-unquote survivable, there are no two situations that are truly the same. Sometimes our feelings of sadness are conflated with guilt, regret, anger, and resentment. Perhaps we're questioning our own role in the loss of this person. Maybe we had to make a split-second decision on the scene of an accident, or alternatively, alternatively, perhaps we weighed out a decision with great analysis and pressure, and in retrospect, maybe we wish we had done something differently. Additionally, since relationships are complicated, we may truly mourn the death of a loved one, while at the same time feel conflicted about the pain they caused us, things that were said or not said, done or not done. These opposing feelings make finding a path to healing even harder, as we reconcile all of which is now in the past with no chance for a do-over. One critical lesson I have uncovered while grieving for two of my children for 20 plus years is that there is no path to healing, quote unquote, out there, 
that we can find, mimic, or even plug into. It has to be created by us, for us, and taking into consideration all the complicated aspects of how we will live our lives without someone who may have played a strong role in our identities and our lives. I spent a lot of time trying to find, quote unquote, the way to move on. And what I now know is that it doesn't already exist. The good news, albeit small, if we are hurting, is that we don't need to worry about getting healing right or doing things others suggest for us to do or urge us to do. The pain of our unique loss is ours, and it's ours alone. Comparing ourselves to others and their ways of coping only isolates us further. This is the one part of grief that we actually have some say in. The message here is that there's no right way, but only our own way, to reclaim some of our power that was lost in the death of a loved one. We start looking at our own decisions and try to notice what feels like nourishment and what feels like poison. We may need to spend less time doing certain activities or with particular people when we notice our moods drop during those occasions. We may want to add new activities and new faces to our world as we begin to build back to a life we can stand to live in. Freedom is powerful. We can't get back what we have lost, but we can claim our identities in recovery and let our feelings guide what is right for us. Since we lose agency at the time a loved one dies, we can start to gain it back with the steps we choose in the aftermath of our sorrow. We have to build our own way, decision by decision, hour by hour, and as long as it takes to see what works for us in our new specific circumstances. It can be lonely, but anything else is simply a distraction from this grief work that does eventually land us in a mirror where we begin to see and recognize ourselves again. So thanks for joining this episode uh, of The Healing Path again. I I find um, this myth buster to be major because I know, uh, and as I talk about always in the intro of the podcast, I know I looked everywhere for signs, for tools, for outlets, for you know, proof that I could lose two children and still have a full life or um, a career or, you know, just really kind of trying to prove prove to myself by looking at um, the paths of others that I too could survive these major and heart-wrenching losses. And again, over the 20 years, it's like, oh, I guess I have to do this for myself. And that's what I really want to share in this kind of myth buster, this grief public service announcement, the eighth one that we've done, because it saves a lot of time. And if you already know that your path has to be created by you, you may stop looking so hard to find out the right way to do it or the best way to do it or judging yourself for not doing it like somebody else and just get right to what works for me. What 
makes me feel, as I said, nourished and what feels toxic. There are certain situations that you may not want to put yourself in for maybe a long time, maybe ever. I know for myself, one of those um, situations was to be at a wedding in a church. And for some reason, whenever I would attend a wedding and sit in a church service, um, I would feel like I was panicking. I don't think I knew about panic attacks at the time. <laughs> um and they probably weren't full-fledged panic attacks, but often just waterworks. Like I would start to cry. I would feel embarrassed. I would feel scared, like there was nowhere to hide. And I started going to such events and sitting in the back or trying to sit on the outside aisle so that I didn't feel like I was on display. And sometimes I just opted not to go at all. So that's an example of something. I mean, a wedding's a beautiful thing, but if it was evoking terrible negative emotions for me for whatever reason, um, I could choose not to expose myself to that. So that's just one example of making a decision in support of your own needs. So again, the freedom's powerful. Just know that if you have lost a loved one or are suffering any major loss, maybe a job or you know, losing a home for any particular reason, a fire or mortgage issues. There's loss that comes into our everyday lives in so many different ways. And the idea that there's a right way to handle it is just bullshit. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. And of course, I look forward to any feedback you may have to share. You can do so at lisamcfarland.com. And if there's any grief kind of myths that you're also busting up or that you have questions about, just, you know, go ahead and reach out. I love to see the comments and have this be more of a community conversation. So thanks again. And of course, until next time, stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And as always, thanks for listening.